him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. This is God's word. Thank you, Josephine. I also meant to, one of the questions that have been raised is, uh, is Lucy still with us? And of course, the answer is yes. Um, where, where is Lucy? She's in here somewhere. Lucy, would you stand up? Lucy also works with our college ministry and has for a, a couple, two or three years now, and she's back uh, to continue to do that, and we're delighted that she's still on board. Well, I want to um, invite you uh, to you know, grab a bowl of popcorn, uh, maybe your blankie, and snuggle up to the person next to you. I'm actually giving you permission to do that because i got a story to tell you. One day, a young man saw an elderly lady stranded on the side of the road, but even in the dim light of the rainy day, he could see that she needed some help. So he pulled in front of her Mercedes and got out. His Pontiac was still sputtering a bit when he approached her. Even with a smile on his face, uh, she looked worried. No one had stopped for the last hour. Uh, Was he going to hurt her? He didn't look safe. In fact, he, well, he looked poor. He could see she was frightened standing there in the wet cold, and he said, well, I'm here to help you, ma'am. Why don't you wait in the car where it's warm? By the way, my name is Brian Anderson. All she had was a flat tire, but for an elderly lady, that was bad enough. So Brian crawled under the car looking for a place to put the jack, skinning his knuckles a time or two, getting muddy uh, in the process, but soon he'd change the tire. As he was tightening the lug nuts, she rolled down the window, began to talk to him. She told him she was from St. Louis, just passing through. She couldn't thank him enough for coming to her aid. Brian just smiled and closed her trunk. Lady asked how much um, she owed him. Any amount would have been fine, she said, as she rummaged through her purse. But as she looked up, he he was already in his car driving away. Because you see, Brian never thought twice about being paid. This was not a job. This was helping someone in need. Lived his whole life that way. Never occurred to him to act any other way. It had been a cold and depressing day, but he felt good as he headed for home, disappearing into the gloom. A few miles down the road, the lady um, saw a small cafe. She, she went in to grab a bite to eat and take the chill off before she made the last leg of her 
journey home. It was a dingy-looking restaurant. The waitress came over and, and actually brought her a towel to dry her wet hair. She had a sweet smile, one that uh, even being on her feet all, all day couldn't erase. And the, the lady noticed that the waitress was far into a pregnancy, but she didn't seem to let that condition uh, change her attitude. The lady wondered how someone who had so little could be so giving to a stranger, and then she remembered Brian. After the lady finished her meal, she paid with a $100 bill. The waitress quickly uh, went to get changed, but the lady slipped out the door. She was gone by the time the waitress came back. That's when she noticed that something was written on the napkin. There were tears in her eyes as she, she read, you don't owe me anything. I, I've been there. Somebody help me out the way I'm helping you. And under the napkin were four more $100 bills. There were tables to clear, sugar bowls to fill, people to serve, but the waitress, well, she made it through another day. That night when she got home from work, climbed into bed, she was thinking about the money, the note the lady had written, how could this lady have known how much she and her husband needed it? The baby was due next month. It was going to be hard. She knew her husband was worried as he lay sleeping next to her. She leaned over, gave him a kiss, and whispered softly, everything's going to be all right. I love you, Brian Anderson. Aww. <laughs> Isn't that a cute story? I found it on the internet. <laughs> Under what goes around comes around. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? I mean, we've all heard it. We've even said it. What goes around comes around. I mean, we watch a particularly irritating coworker or classmate get what they deserve. I mean, it's, it's karma. They had it coming. Serves them right. Chickens have come home to roost. Maybe, maybe it was uh, when uh, you saw it in your children, picked on daughter, finally turn around and slug an annoying brother. What goes around comes around, you said. You deserved it. We, we watched the movies. All's well that ends well, especially those American movies. The good guy always gets the girl, and the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Now, before we dismiss that, um, uh, there are even some Bible verses that seem to kind of teach this idea. Remember, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. So why is it that it seldom seems to work that way in real life? More often than not, the lady gets in the car, runs the guy over, at least sprays more muddy water all over his pants as she speeds to get away. The waitress, more often stiffed than rewarded for good service. In fact, after the first service, someone came up who, who works as a, as a waiter and said, the worst tippers are the ones who leave the tracks. What goes around comes around? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Has this been your experience? I mean, you're trying to live for Christ, and it's not, well, it's not real good. You're struggling. And you say, I gotta, I gotta tell you, Scott, this story of Joseph is not helping a whole lot. I, I read ahead for today. 
You know, this being hated by his brothers and sold into slavery is just the beginning of his problems. You said, I remember, you said that all things work together for good for those who love God. Scott, you said this community, you said that this church needs this story in the midst of some rather difficult trials and tragedies. That's what you said. Tell that to Howard's Creek Baptist Church, whose 48-year-old pastor had a stroke a few weeks ago, lost his ability to speak. That's a problem for a pastor. But it was going to get better, right? Then why did they bury him on Friday, two days ago, from a blood clot in his leg? This go, what, what comes around goes around doesn't seem to be really working. It just seems to me like the Rolling Stones got it more right. You can't always get what you want. Two weeks ago, we began what I suggested would be a much-needed study of the, life of, of the life of Joseph. No sooner did we get started than we found this young 17-year-old boy, favored by his father, was hated by his brothers. Ah, yeah, maybe he was a little bratty, but he certainly did not deserve the treatment they gave him. Violently stripping of his special hated robe, throwing him into a pit to die, only to decide to sell him to some slave traders. I mean, why not get rid of the little brat and make some money in the process? Let's go home and lie to dad about it. We'll let him go to his grave in sorrow. It's not been a very encouraging story up to this point. Yeah, we, we agree that the story of Joseph was there because it fits into God's story. God was fulfilling his promises and his purposes. He's going to use Joseph to, fill, to fulfill a couple of those promises. First, he's going to use Joseph to get the family down to Egypt, away from the pagan nations that surround them, and we're going to skip chapter 38, but you can read that and see they needed to get away from those nations. And secondly, it was in, in Egypt that he's going to make a great nation of them. God was at work fulfilling his grand purposes, not only for this particular family, but for all humanity. Uh, yeah, uh, through this nation is going to come the Word of God and, and the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Through them is going to come the eternal plan of redemption. But now listen, it cost, it cost Joseph dearly, unexpectedly, undeservedly. I want you to remember that we've said that all things are not necessarily good, but all things are for our good. I'm going to suggest to you that we need to develop a longer-term view beyond, beyond today and wherever you find yourself, beyond Friday, beyond tomorrow, beyond next week, next year. We need to develop an eternal perspective where we see ourselves forgiven for all of eternity because of God's plan worked out through Joseph. Turn to the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. i got to tell you something. It is not going to get a lot better for Joseph today. It's not going to get better by next week either. 
And I don't want to promise you that the challenges and trials of life that you're facing today, that you've been maybe facing for a while, are going to get better by next week, next month, next year. Joseph lasted for about 13 years. I, I, do, I do want to assure you that God is at work. He's not forgotten you. He knows what he's doing. It, it, it may not always be good, but it is for good. Let's begin by reading the first six verses of the chapter. And I want to encourage you to see if you can pick out the theme of the story. It's the theme of, of Joseph's life. Now listen to me. It's the theme of your life. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Sure doesn't seem like it. So he became a successful, a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master because, you know, he's a slave, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and, and became his personal servant, and, and he made him overseer over his house. And, and all that he owned, he, he put in his charge. It's getting better. And he came about, and it came about uh, that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Uh, thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. And so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. It's getting better. And, and, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Ominous music begins to play in the background. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Did you see the theme, by the way? I, I kind of made it easy for you. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. The end of the chapter, verse 23, the Lord was with him. The chapter begins and ends with God right there. That, that phrase or, or, or something um, like it um, appears, I think you might be one uh, ahead there, but that's all right. We, there you go. Um, that, that, that phrase or something like it appears eight times in the chapter. You might be interested to know that um, the name Yahweh or the name Lord doesn't appear in Joseph's story before this or after this all the way till chapter 49 when Jacob just mentions him in his blessings that he's given to his son. Here's the point. The Lord's name's not mentioned and yet we know that God's fingerprints are all over Joseph's life. Have you ever felt like this? You can't quite see it, but you know that his fingerprints are all over your life. You might, you might need to be reminded of that today. Four times we read, the Lord was with Joseph. Four times we read, the Lord made Joseph prosperous or successful. But you got to know something. This is not a happy chapter. He's been sold into slavery. He ends up in prison. He's away from his brothers, his dad. He's away from his family. He's away from everything that's familiar. He's alone. Uh, or is he? You see, God is with him throughout this whole ordeal. Is it right to assume that God was with him, you know, when those nasty brothers stripped him of his robe? When they threw him in the pit? When they sold him into slavery? 
when he was forcibly taken down to Egypt, when he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, was God with him? And so is God with you in the midst of your trial, even though you, you can't maybe see it, but you can trace his hand? God made Joseph uh, prosper over and over because God was preparing Joseph for the next step, the next step, and the next step in the carrying out of his grand and glorious plan. We'll find God working in Joseph's life all along to bring him to where he wants him to be to carry out his purposes. And we can be encouraged through success and, and failure in good times and bad, that God is doing the very same thing in our lives. So the outline of the chapter is going to look like this. We're going to see um, Joseph prospered. That's good. Joseph propositioned. Not so good. Joseph punished. You know, you want to know something? It's not going to seem right. It's not going to seem good. But it is. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his loving brothers. The Ishmaelites sold Joseph to Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer. He was the captain of the bodyguard. Some feel like the, 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 the um, etymology of that particular title carries, carries with it the idea that Potiphar was the chief executioner. If that is true, I think it is, then this man was used to killing people if they stepped out of line. Keep that in mind. While Joseph was there, we, we see the first use of that key phrase of Joseph's life, and I'm suggesting this morning is the key phrase of your life, the Lord was with Joseph. I, I think many commentaries miss the whole point of the chapter. They write volumes about Joseph's character, which was indeed commendable. I'm going to comment on it, but the emphasis here is not on Joseph's character, but on Joseph's God. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a man, he was a man with the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. Why? Well, it was the Lord. Made him successful. Notice also, by the way, that the text says that Potiphar knew that the Lord was with Joseph. Which means at some point, Potiphar, whose name, by the way, means gift of Ra, gift of the sun god Ra. At some point, Potiphar heard about Yahweh, Joseph's God. At some point in the midst of his trial, Joseph spoke of the Lord. Verses 2 to 6, we see God prospering everything that Joseph did as a slave. The word all, everything, is used five times to magnify that fact, that, uh, to magnify Joseph's success. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. What would you do if you found yourself, or perhaps find yourself, through no fault of your own, in the midst of, uh, uh, of dire, dreadful circumstances, what would you do? What are you doing? Throwing a pity party? God, you just don't love me. God, why have you done this to me? God, this Christian thing I've given my life to you doesn't seem to be working out. Joseph could have become a bitter, angry, lazy 
servant. I mean, after all, God had abandoned him, right? He had gone from being favored son to slave. He didn't speak the language. He didn't know the culture. Probably the food stunk. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. He could have just kept his head down, done the minimum to get by. He didn't. Through God's enabling grace, he committed himself to his duties, to the glory of the Lord that Potiphar heard about in the midst of Joseph's trial. Good lesson for us to learn. We need to realize even though the circumstances may be against us, God never is. Did you hear what I just said? I want you to write it down. Even though the circumstances may be against us, God never is. We should apply ourselves in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, recognizing the sovereign God of the universe is in control of our lives. He always has us right where He wants us. If we focus on our circumstances, if we focus on me, we might miss what God is doing. Will you hear me this morning? God is doing something in your life. As you would expect, Potiphar was um, quite pleased with Joseph's work. After all, he was the model um, employee. At first, everything he did prospered. So second, he found um, favor in Potiphar's sight, who made him his personal assistant, his personal servant. It's actually his personal steward. But that wasn't enough. He then, there's actually a title change. Uh, he puts him in charge of everything in his house. He makes him overseer, and everything in the, in the home now prospers. I don't know. That seems a bit to me like, I'm going to bless those that you bless. Finally, we get to the point where Potiphar doesn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate, a couple of reasons for that. One is the uh, rigorous ritual um, process they went through to prepare their food, the, the Egyptians. And secondly, he didn't want Joseph to poison his food, a la Pharaoh. We'll get to that. So, we, we, we turn to the question, why does God take him down to Egypt to prosper him? Why this, this yo-yo life? Good one day, really bad the next. Preparation. God's doing something, you see. All the while Joseph is running this important household, he's learning the language, he's learning the customs, he's learning to like the food, he's learning some administrative skills. God is preparing him for an introduction to, well, like Pharaoh. Because you see, this wasn't ultimately about Joseph. It never is ultimately about you. It was ultimately about God and His plan. Joseph did a great job. We also read that he was handsome in form and appearance. Basically, that means he was well-built and handsome. I understand this challenge. Actually, Actually, that, 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 those particular words are only used one other time. It was actually to speak of, Ray, uh, of Rachel, Joseph's mom. And he was well-built and handsome, leads to the second point, Joseph's proposition in verses 7 to 12. Let's read that. It came about after these events that his master's wife, he doesn't even give her a name, <laughs> looked with desire, sexual, lustful desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. 
and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all, thing, all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? Now she spoke to Joseph day after day after day after day. He did not listen to her, to lie beside her. He wasn't even with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and, and none of the men of the household was, was there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. This is the worst, first and worst of all fatal attractions. I want you to be aware of the rather significant temptations, uh, the temptation here that Joseph faced. It's particularly difficult for several reasons. First, let's just be really honest. At this time, he was young, virile, man, late teens, height of his sexual drive. She was a woman, a woman used to getting what she wanted. Now listen. The reason that there are so many verses in the Bible about sexual sin is because sexual sin is so prevalent. I am aghast to hear continued stories of sexual sin within the church of Jesus Christ. Men are particularly vulnerable. In this case, it was a woman. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Secondly, he was away from home. On a business trip. He's away from dad and seemingly all accountability. Who would know? Isn't that the rationalization that we use for most of our sins, especially this one? Who would know? I mean, you're like, besides God. Third, why, why bother being good, I, obeying? It, look where it's gotten me. God has abandoned me. Why should I remain faithful to Him? Shouldn't Joseph at this point take matters into his own hands? Shouldn't he advance his own personal career with what one called a little strategic adultery? Fourth, she was an important person. I mean, he was just a slave. He was just chattel, just property. This had to be a bit flattering. Notice, however, as one pointed out, who was the real slave here? Joseph or this Mrs. Potiphar, who was a slave to her own sinful desires. Last, it was a repeated temptation. Day after day. We, we may not give in to such temptation at first, but after repeated presentations, what would you, well, what have you done? What was Joseph's response? Look at the first three words of verse 8, but he refused. No hesitation, no contemplation, no rolling that around in his mind a little while, no mind games. No flirting. This has got to be fun. This flirting in the office, in the break room. Harmless, right? 
He refused. I would suggest that the matter was already made up in his own mind. He didn't have to think about it. Sexual sin is something that you have to have made up in your own mind. You will not do it. I'm not, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to consider the temptation because the answer is no. Listen to me. You, you, you're going to be faced with sexual temptation all the time. You've got to make up your mind right now. Not then, now. The answer is no. He gave two grounds for his refusal. First, it was a sin against Potiphar. Verses 8 and 9, interesting to note, by the way, that her proposition uh, was very short. One called it brutish. It's just two words in the Hebrew, lie with me. His answer, very well reasoned, full of truth. Joseph realized that he had been given complete freedom. Only one thing was barred from him. Only one thing, Mrs. Potiphar. Isn't that what usually presents the greatest temptation for us, the one thing that is barred from us. Adam, and Eve, you can do anything you want except, right, your kids. What do, they, what do they gravitate toward? Whatever you tell them they can't do. Not for Joseph. He was a man of constant and committed purity because he had already made up his mind this would be a sin against Potiphar. But not only that, secondly, this would be a sin against God. Second part of verse 9, notice he called adultery for what it was. I find that very interesting. He called it a great evil. He called it a great evil. This is an important first step in our battle against any sin. We need to recognize sin for sin. We need to call sin what it is. We need to abhor sin for what it is. You see, very often we rationalize. We rationalize behavior and we give excuses. We explain it away, saying, well, it wasn't that bad. No one was, else was hurt. Situation Situation demanded my action. It accomplished a higher good. Oh, or everyone else is doing it. That's a good one. We can rename it. I mean, let's not call it sin. It's so, oh, that sounds so, no, let's, no, let's not sin. It's a mistake. It's a blunder. It's a lapse. It's a moral failure. It's an inappropriate relationship. It's a lifestyle choice. It's a midlife crisis. We must call sin for what it is. We must recognize it to be a great evil committed against God. A great evil committed against God who is always present and always sees. Psalm 51, David, after sin with Bathsheba, against you and you only have I sinned. His second response was to steer clear of the temptation, verse 10. Notice he didn't listen to her. He wouldn't even be with her. Again, we kind of get this idea that kind of, particularly when it comes to sexual sin, flirting is kind of fun. I mean, no harm done, right? We can, we can mull it over. We can say inappropriate things as long as we don't do the deed, right? We are foolish to think that we can constantly expose ourselves to temptation and not fall into the sin, he wouldn't even be with her. Alexander, uh, Alexander Pope wrote a short poem. I love it. It's an old one, so you have to kind of work your way through the language. Vice, sin is a monster of so frightful mean. As to be hated needs but to be seen. Yes, yeah, sin is terrible the first time you see it. You get often, yet yeah, seen too oft, familiar with her face. We first endure, then pity, and then embrace. He wouldn't even be with her. Proverbs chapter 5, speaking of the adulteress, Solomon tells his son, keep your way far from her. We must recognize our own human depravity and steer clear. 
listen, steer clear of sexual immorality. Most people who fall into sexual sin say, I never saw it coming. I didn't expect this to happen to me. Yeah, I was alone with her in the room, but... He wouldn't even be with her. Third response, when the first two weren't enough, was to physically flee from the temptation, verses 11 and 12. He did not know to stick around to reason with her. Ah, you know, this wouldn't be right. Kind of titillating to think of. No. He fled. Second Timothy chapter 2 says, flee youthful lusts. Don't get close to it. You get it burned. First Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. We must never allow ourselves to be put in a situation where we might be tempted to compromise our purity. Flee. Which leads to the third point, Joseph punished, verses 13 to 23. Let's, let, let's read it as we quickly finish the story. It's not a good story. When she saw that he, Joseph, had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, now, now notice what this woman says. She is amazing. She should be the CEO of many companies. See, he has, he, who's he? Potiphar has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. And when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment outside uh, beside me and he fled and went outside. And so she left his garment beside her until her master came home. And then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, this is your fault, came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Question is, against who? See, Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and he gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer, and the chief jailer committed to Joseph charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything. I mean, he took a vacation, collected the paychecks, because Joseph was in charge, and the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. I, I want you to know, by the way, at this point, that the author of this story, Moses, is brilliant. He's brilliant. There are all kinds of uh, literary devices and plays on words that he uses that I don't have time to go into. It's incredible. Let me just give you one of them. Notice this is the second time. You're supposed to see this. This is the second time that Joseph's robe is used in a deception against him. Lots of them like that in there. And Mrs. Potiphar switches the truth around from what actually happened. She actually flips it. She is a master manipulator. She is a master at deception. She said, this is the way it went. He said, lie with me. I screamed for help. He fled. Truth is, I said, lie with me. He fled. I screamed for help. I mean, she had some of the details right. She just switched them around to her advantage again. Uh, CEO or a good politician. Sorry, Dan. Um, 
Notice her manipulative word choice, how she tries to blame everything on her husband. Verse 14, she says to her servants who had come in responding to her cries, see how Potiphar brought in this Hebrew? She didn't call him a slave because they're slaves. He brought in this foreigner to make sport of us. What's, what's the us? Count, recounts the story to her husband. She lays the blame at his feet again. This Hebrew now slave. See, before she was getting the slaves in the boat with her. But now she says to her husband, this Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, this is your fault, came to make sport of me. What happened to us? She just twists it enough. She changed it from Hebrew when talking to other slaves to Hebrew slave when talking to the master. Master manipulator she is. As a consequence, Joseph was thrown into prison. I want you to know, Joseph could have and should have been killed. In Egypt, the... Um, penalty for adultery was 1,000 lashes. For rape, it was much worse. Potter was, remember the, the officer, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the bodyguard, perhaps, if the etymology is right, the chief executioner. Joseph should have died. But God somehow intervened to save Joseph's life. Again, as I read through it, it suggested that Potiphar didn't even believe his own wife. His anger burned. He knew what happened. But in order to save face, he punished Joseph, but he did not kill him. So, see, that wouldn't have fit the plan. Death wouldn't have fit the plan. Prison did. Does that feel good to you? He's in prison. He'd been faithful. He'd been a hard worker. He'd been holy. And things had gone from bad to worse. This Christian stuff doesn't seem to be working. I've been holy. He went from being hated by his brother, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. Can't get much worse. It does next week. Stay tuned. Psalm 105 tells us that Joseph's feet were in shackles and his neck was in irons. But notice, because God is in the details that he was placed where the king's prisoners were kept. How convenient, how lucky, except we don't believe in luck. How providential. How like God. You see, God had arranged a meeting with a couple of, kings, of the king's prisoners in the next chapter to provide an introduction to Pharaoh. So once again, we see God stepping in to fulfill his purpose. Even... Even in the midst of terrible life circumstances. You mean to tell me, Scott, are you, trying, are you standing there trying to tell me that God wanted Joseph in prison? Yes. I don't like that. It's through this nation that Jesus comes. Do you like it a little better now? This is the second time when death could have been the result and God intervenes, first with the caravan of Ishmaelite traders and now with the prison. God was right where he wanted him to be even though the circumstances were not favorable. He's put in custody of the chief jailer. Lord was with Joseph right in prison. Listen to me, I'm done. And God is with you right in your prison. 
whatever it is. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows where you are. In fact, I'm going to go further. He has you right where he wants you. And now listen, he's with you there. Do you believe that? Let's stand for prayer. Father, uh, through this uh, awful story, uh, most of us know the end. And we're okay with it. And we find ourselves in the midst of our story, and we don't know the end. Or, or maybe we do. We do know that you work all things for our good. And so in whatever prison we find ourselves today, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Show me your ways and teach me your paths. Guide me in truth, lead me on. For you're my God. You are my Savior, my hope is in you each moment of the day. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. That's why my eyes are on you, oh Lord. Surround me, defend me, oh how I need. To you I lift up my soul, to you I lift up my soul. Remember, Lord, your mercy and love that ever flows from above. Remember not the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me according to your love, for you are good, O Hope is in you, will never be put to shame. That's why my eyes are on you, oh Lord. Surround me, defend me, oh how I need you. To you I lift up my soul, to you I lift up my soul. No one whose hope is in You'll ever be put to shame. That's why my eyes are on you, oh Lord. Surround me, 
me, oh how I need you. To you I lift up my soul, to you I lift up my soul. To you, oh Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, oh Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, oh Lord, I lift up my soul. Lord God, as we depart from this place today, we, we move through the doors and into the world with a great resounding hope in our Savior and in your plan and your goodness toward us. I pray your blessing of grace and mercy and peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week walking with Christ. Sweet, this great love that has redeemed as one.